Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, before we get the show started, I wanted to let you know we are giving away a bunch of brand new black magic gear. Yeah, cameras, switchers, DaVinci Resolve licenses, a bunch of awesome stuff. So stay tuned to learn how you can enter to win free gear from Black Magic, and we're going to tell you all about it later on in this episode. Now cue the music. Hey, welcome to the 202nd episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, screenwriting, and directing. This episode is brought to you by patrons Andrea Nelson, Kentrell Barnes, Brent Cobble, Meet or Whatever Movies, Christian Linden, and Glenn. It's a lot of new people. Holy cow. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Oren Kaplan. And today on the podcast, you got Matt and me again, three episodes in a row. Whoa, it's like we're very busy and not good at booking guests right now. As usual, Matt and I disagree on something. I think that every other episode has to have a guest because Matt and I are not interesting enough on our own. Matt thinks that people love the episodes that are just Matt and me. We would really, really, really love to hear from you. If you have an opinion on that, I love having interviews as well. Oren, how many people have you emailed to to get new interviews going in the last few weeks? Wait, how many emails have I sent to get new interviews mm-hmm. in the last how many weeks? Two. And by new, you mean a guest that we haven't had on the show before? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> maybe one. Mm-hmm. But I have yeah. emailed people we have start... had on the show before. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. I'm giving you a hard time. <laughs> We've got a bunch of great people. I think the real challenges we're going are to people who are very busy. And so everyone's at Sundance or getting ready to go to South by. And we're going to have a lot of great guests soon. But, you know, our lead time is a little longer now. Now our lead time, I would say, is probably like two months. Like from when we record an episode to when it comes out? No, from when I reach out to them to when we actually record. Oh, oh. So you're removing me from the equation of booking guests at all. I guess what I'm saying is that like, I've been emailing a good number of new and exciting people. Well, do you want to know why that is? Why is because that? Because I feel like nervous sometimes that you won't like my guests. But I'm <laughs> a much less judgmental person than you are. <laughs> you know, I think there's probably some truth to that. I'm probably a little, a little more picky than you are. Yeah, so I, if you book a guest that's not amazing... It's like, yeah, that's Matt's fault. Uh, but I'm also pretty good at liking people, so I yeah. can like all the people you book. Yeah, 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 fair enough. I think also, like, I've brought in some pretty great people recently. Well, so something kind of on that note, which is funny, is, you know, I'm doing this passion project, and a lot of times when you're doing passion projects and you don't have a casting director and you don't have a casting budget, you bring people you know to play parts, right? And I realized this because on this project, like, a few different people that are working on it with me know actors and some of the actors that they know they haven't even like worked with they're like oh i know that this person's an actor and she's really funny or he's really cool like let's just bring them in and have have them do a read and they come in and they do an okay read and then whoever brought them in becomes really self-conscious and Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. we're all noticing how much more judgmental we are of the people we brought in than the other people are like i was like 100 some of the actors i brought in i was like i don't even know if this is usable and then Someone else that's working on it will be like, oh, that person was amazing. <laughs> so it, it, yeah. there is kind of this self-consciousness, especially when you're making like hiring. Like you've had this. You hire a DP that you're vouching for. And then you're like worried every time they make a mistake or something mm-hmm. that it's like on you. So, yeah, I mean, that's true for like basically every crew member. And I like to recommend crew members because I like to work with consistent people. And I also, you know, I like to. If someone has like done good work, I want to reward them with more good work, you know, more jobs. I know I'm already going way off of our plan of what we were talking about, but do you 
feel an obligation if someone says, hey, do you have a great script supervisor? And if you don't, do you feel like, like you have an obligation to find someone no. to recommend? Or do you no, just say I, no? I, no, yeah. I just say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for new great people, is what I would say. So you don't recommend someone? A recommendation from me is, I think, back to your previous point, like, you're vouching for them. So if I can't vouch for a person, then I'm not going to, like, go into my network or, like, jump on Facebook and, like, see if I can find someone unless the producer needs me to do that. And in which case, we both know, like, oh, we're just kind of, like, putting feelers out. But, like, oftentimes I'll... You know, I, I have like a handful of sound people that I really love is a perfect example. Most directors aren't like, hey, this is the sound person you need to hire. But I do. But so I, I think it's like early on. I'm just like, here are all the key crew members that I want to hire, basically. And here are, here's the contact info for those people. Right. I guess I have this problem. Like if someone emails me and says, hey, Oren, I'm looking for a great graphic designer for to help us out with our title sequence. It's kind of low budget. Do you have anyone to recommend? And honestly, I just don't know a ton of graphic designers. So instead of saying, nope, sorry, I say, you know what? I don't, but let me ask a couple other people and see if I can find a recommendation for you. And they always respond, oh, thanks so much. And then I've just made a job for myself. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, so I definitely wouldn't do Don't that. be like me, but, be like Matt. Yeah, yeah. Just, just go hard on like, these are the people I recommend, these are people I love and I want them on my set. Okay, now that I've wasted all that time, Matt, can you tell us what we are going to be discussing this episode? Yeah, well, we've got a couple of things. Um, first off, we've got a listener question that I think is going to kick off a really good conversation between us about accolades and what they mean and how they help you, the festival staff pick sort of world and how you can kind of make that into something that's meaningful for your career and maybe sometimes when it doesn't actually work out that way. And then I wanted to talk a little bit more about goal setting and picking your targets, which has been a big theme for me recently. And then finally, hopefully we have time to get to tough decisions and loyalty, a conversation about the people that you collaborate with, the people that you love and work with and grow with, and um, when it's okay for them to make a hard decision and not be a part of your project, or you make a hard decision to not invite them to a project. There's a lot of those kind of big personal issues going on. And so I thought that would be another interesting thing for us to talk about. Cool. And then I thought, you know, it would be cool to end the episode with like just some things that we like, like endorsing some things we like. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Well, that, this sounds fun. Uh, again, I encourage you to let us know if you enjoy these Matt and Orin episodes or if you just want to hear from other guests that bring new stories. You can email us. I have been emailing people like crazy. We're going to get some dope, exciting guests soon. I'm really curious to know if our listeners enjoy the Matt Noren episodes as much as the guest episodes. That's all I'm saying. Do reach out to us. Let us know how regularly you listen. Because I think that's the other thing. I think that people who love a podcast tend to like the stuff that's a little harder to that's less less mainstream basically so like i think a casual listener would like see what filmmaker is on and then decide oh maybe i'll listen to that or maybe not but if you love our show then i think you're maybe more likely to be excited about the more personal parts of aspects of the show basically so let us know if that assessment is correct or not as well yeah leave us a voicemail one two six two shoot one or email us, justshootitpod at gmail.com. Or you can even tweet at us, at justshootitpod. And finally, before we get into this amazing episode, we want to tell you about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash justshootitpod. It's a place you can uh, give us a couple bucks a month if you really like what we're doing and you feel like we've been helpful. I know listener Lynn Chen, for example, listened to our show quite a lot while she was preparing her feature film that is premiering at a prestigious film festival very soon. If you feel like you got something out of our podcast and you want to give a couple bucks a month go for it patreon.com slash just shoot it pod if you do give us 10 bucks a month we will send you just shoot a pod hat and even if you only do it for one month you'll get a hat it says just shoot it we also got new stickers man and you're gonna get stickers which we've been telling people you'll get and had a, a little problem when Oren went and lost all the stickers yeah but now yeah <laughs> we have stickers again 
I put one on um, a water bottle yeah. on set the other day, and it was cool. Oh. I was like, oh, this is actually this is exactly how I want to use my stickers. Enough with my nonsense. Let's talk about Alex Goddard's email. So Alex wrote in with a really great question. Inspired this episode. He says he's a big fan after he heard about us on Indie Mogul. Shout out to Ted and the great people over at Indie Mogul. He says, what instantly struck me was how often Vimeo staff picks gets mentioned and the value you put on the accolade. I've been fortunate enough to have my animations picked up by the Vimeo curation team and given a staff pick on four occasions. Of course, this has led to a massive amount of views on my page and and to some corporate work, or at least the chance to pitch, but in no way do I feel closer to a career in film or animation. This both inspired me, but also got me thinking, what am I doing wrong? Should my career be off the ground by now? I'm not a full-time filmmaker. I work in marketing for a charity and make films in my spare time. I've recently become a dad too, so I'm less carefree when it comes to making a serious career change. I guess like most listeners that email in, I'm asking for advice on how to sell myself more and some insight into where I'm potentially falling short. So yeah, he sent us his shorts. Yeah, They're super dope. Yeah, did you watch them? Yeah, I did. They're really great. I I gotta say also like, marketing for a, a charity he's a dad seems like a very cool guy alex so shout out there and the shorts are cool they're really cool like they're certainly deserving of vimeo staff pick and exactly what an animated staff pick is meant to be they're like visually interesting they're unique they're like funny and a little strange it's exactly the sweet spot for what i love to see in a Vimeo staff pick or in a just a festival short piece in general. You know, like they, they're perfect little palette cleansers you could put into a lot of different programs. So shout out, Alex. They're really awesome work. They kind of remind me of Brad Neely. Do you know who he is? Uh-huh, sure. Yeah. Baby cakes, bro. Yeah, George Washington. If you check, check out George Washington, Washington animated video, just Washington. Google that. And it's an amazing animated. I mean, Brad Neely is much more like offensive and subversive, I think, and... Mm-hmm. Like he has a sense of humor that's just real different than I think what Alex is doing. But in terms of the animation style, they're they're kind of in the mm-hmm. same world. Yeah, there's like an MS Paint almost vibe to them. Yeah, it's like lo-fi animation, but like really well done. And Alex also does these like collages. Like sometimes there will be an animated character on top of a piece of video. It's cool stuff. Yeah. So why do you think Alex, who has four Vimeo staff picks, by the way, between you and me? Combined, we have less than that. Yeah, we have zero. Whoa, you don't have any? No, you don't have any either. I, I don't. I just think it's so funny that we're like always like, oh yeah, you get a Vimeo staff pick. Someone hires you to direct a Nike commercial. Bada bing, bada boom. Doing a studio yeah, yeah, film, you get a Netflix show. Um, yeah. You get married, you have kids, you buy a house. It's amazing. It all starts with that one staff pick. Um, that staff pick? And then people email us with all their staff picks. So. Yeah, so why is Alex still just a part-time filmmaker even after all those staff picks? Yeah. This is a this is a hard thing to to figure out, but like his voice is so specific and so clear and so unique that sometimes it's hard to wrap a brand around it or make it into a feature or even a TV show. You know, like the like everyone can watch those shorts and go, oh, these are great. But the jump to something where people make money off of them is is challenging, which I would argue I just want to make sure is clear. That's true for all great, exciting art. Yeah. You know, like before Star Wars was Star Wars, people were like, what are, what are we even talking about? This? this is so strange and so specific and so unique. Like. How could anyone ever make money off of this? Right, right. So, so it's it's not that I want to. I, I would hate to to discourage Alex in any way because I think that his work is really special. But on the topic of figuring out how to make money off of that, unfortunately, it's tricky to convince other brands because it is so unique. It's hard to exactly. Um, graft what alex does onto some fucking nikes or something (laughs) dumb like that right well so 
I think what we and and I don't know that we should. I don't. I don't. I, it would bum me out if I saw. No, it wouldn't. You know, you, you know why it wouldn't? Because it wouldn't. remember it Converse yeah. when they did that competition where it was like these I do. six second spots and it was kind of like, like I did one like those MTV logos. You did one of those Converse ones. Yeah, I should send it to you. Yeah, there's pretty super art. Actually, they're not unlike cool. Alex, actually. Yeah. So it it is yeah, cool. But I think the problem, our problem is that we've been oversimplifying this idea like you get a staff pick. And then you get a job, and I think we are cutting out a lot of the middle between getting that staff pick and getting that job. So I think what a Vimeo staff pick or short of the week or getting your short into South by Southwest or, you know, like any any other accolade that is valuable. It's not winning an Oscar for your short, and it's not maybe being like the jury prize winning short at Sundance, but it's something that's like just right underneath that right i mean also it's funny or and i think this goes exactly to what the point you're making i know someone who won a student academy award off of like her student film her chapman thesis film and she still had to spend years leveraging that credit and doing the work and like submitting to initiatives and like different programs and stuff before like she's just now doing her first episode of tv and i think it took four four years in between that uh, an academy award right and an episode of tv maybe even longer honestly yeah which is amazing i hope she removed the word student from it when she told people she had an academy (laughs) award because i do think that puts a stigma on it but but i guess this what we're saying we're not saying you get the staff pick and then you get the call from, you know, Smuggler or Hungry Man or CAA or Nike to do a commercial. I mean, sometimes you do. It depends if the thing that you made happens to be exactly the right thing for their brand at that moment. And some creative director at their agency it thinks that's the perfect thing that works. But it's really much more an excuse to start a conversation. Um, and so I have a great example of someone that did this and their style just happened to be perfect for commercials. And do you know Pez? P-E-S? Yeah, sure. Yeah, of so course. So Pez makes these stop motion videos. He made one called Fresh Guacamole. It was nominated for an Oscar. Uh, he takes, he basically makes like a grenade out of an avocado. It's like awesome, right? And he has a sensibility and a style and a, an aesthetic that you could see it very easily imagine as a 30 second commercial on TV. When I was working doing a lot of advertising for Quiznos and I was kind of part of the creative team there, we like, I begged them to hire Pez and we actually set up a whole deal with him. He happened to be making a short called Submarine Sandwich. And I was like, guys, you're, we're idiots. He is in a conversation with us He's already making this amazing short about submarine sandwiches. Why we as Quiznos would not just do anything to have our name attached to that, I don't know. And of course, he didn't want it to be like a Quiznos sub, but he was willing to have us like sponsor right. the behind the scenes and like be associated with it, like by, you know, from the side, which I thought was like super valuable. And then some idiots at Quiznos were like, yeah, forget it. Let's not do it. So, but he has such a commercial thing. And then, of course, a week later, Honda puts out this like amazing TV commercial that Pez made. And I'm like, we could have, that could have been us. Like if, you know, if we would have just been a little bolder. So there are a few artists that make really artistic things that are easily translatable Mm -hmm. to commercials. The transfer. But usually a Vimeo staff pick is more about this unique original voice that's taking us to an interesting emotional place and to an interesting artistic place that's like a new way to do something. And unfortunately, those things because they're so new and unique and fresh, tend to not be obviously translatable to a commercial job or a feature film or a TV show, unless it's like a pilot or a proof of concept or something um, that's built for that. So Alex... Or, yeah, yeah, you know, also I think of like collaborating with other filmmakers, maybe like I wonder the drawback of, the staff pick is that like you're not at after parties with the other filmmakers that you're meeting the way you are at like a film festival. festivals, you know? Yeah. And so I wonder if I can think of a handful of people who like got staff picks and then met someone else and then, you know, like a showrunner or a 
creative exec or some someone who could champion Alex is what is the other thing we're looking for in the same way that you were like oh Pez is so great right like do you remember where you first saw a Pez video could it have been on Adam films it might have been the first time but the first time I was paying attention to who Pez was was I, th- I think I just happened yeah, his work on was YouTube. around yeah it was, it was, YouTube or like he was doing Spike and Mike stuff and you know animation was a different deal back then anyway the point is is that like uh, I think that in the same way that a staff pick is is like a resume builder and can be a thing where like you can mention it in meetings, but also like finding some people who are champions. I bet Alex that there's like, you know, a few people out there who really love your work and saw it because of Vimeo and like trying to build those relationships will pay off in ways that we can't even predict. So yeah, I, I it's tricky, right? Yeah. Well, I had two pieces of advice for Alex that I'd emailed him. One is, okay, now you know that you can get Vimeo staff picks. You know people are paying attention to you. You know the Vimeo staff likes you. Make basically a spec commercial. Make a version of your animation that is about your love of, you know, Vegemite or whatever you are into and show that your art can be used for a brand. And then two, and this counts for all accolades across the board is the biggest thing is it's an excuse to reach out to people. Hey, I'm Alex, you know, dear animation studio that makes a lot of commercials. I'm Alex. I've got four Vimeo staff picks. Yeah. Dear Leica, dear whomever. Dear Just Shoot It podcast, which now we're talking about Alex. Check him out. Alex Goddard on Vimeo. Like that is what the accolade gives you. It gives you access to talk to people that instantly legitimizes you, you know. So... It's funny because, you know, we, a lot of people email us to pitch themselves to be on our show or to pitch their projects. And it's a fine line between legitimizing themselves in a way that we, impresses us versus a way that doesn't impress us, right? If they say, we just won best actor in a festival that we've never, ever heard of, it probably will not impress us as much as just being an official selection of South by Southwest or something or Tribeca. Yeah. Yeah. Or the Vimeo staff pick. So I think it, it kind of depends on who you're talking to, but the accolades do count for something, but they are literally just like give you a little leg up versus the next person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if there's a theme to this show, it's that progress is incremental. And so, you know, it may seem like, oh, great, another staff pick. I had three, now I've got four. But saying four staff picks is incrementally more impressive than three. Yeah. Four is a lot, man. I'm impressed. And then the work is great, so there you go. Yeah, so keep doing it. I, I guess my other question to you, Matt, just thinking out loud, is Alex said it did lead to a little bit of corporate work. Uh, I thought his aesthetic would lend itself well to explainer videos you know videos mm-hmm. that show you how to use a product or how to do, sure. go through a process sure, of sure. some sort um and because they're they have a lot of personality to them and they're really fun but they could also be educational in a cool way but is there anything other than commercials that can get you money from from the sort of work that he does yeah not, or not I mean, that he does that anyone that gets a vimeo staff pick like aside from getting into yeah, commercials certainly. Yeah, I mean, like, we can think of a handful of staff picks. Kin, the movie, right, came out of um, a staff pick short, you know? Like, like shorts can get developed into TV shows and Right, so movies. that has to be, like, kind of like a proof of concept short, right? Well, whether I mean, in, Whether you know, by design or not. Not, I, I, don't, I don't know that that's necessarily, it has to hint at potential, right, in the same way that, like, you know, Kin did, or, or I guess Bagman, I think was the name of that short. But, like, that was a complete and finite short. That, like, all, it all it took, took the amount of imagination to go, like, well, what if this was something bigger? And then you figure it out from there. But, like, you know, what I think was originally intended just to be a calling card, right? Right. Whereas, like, you think of, like, oh, what they do in the shadows or something like that, which was, like, a funnier die short, I think probably had, like, a little bit more of, like, a, a bigger picture behind it, potentially. Yeah. But I think, But the filmmakers you know, behind that were already established, right? I mean, yes and no. You know, it's funny. 
Yeah, yes, in that like that's Taika Waititi, right? And sure, he had already done Eagle versus Shark or Flight mm-hmm. of the Concords. Was he involved in that? I don't think he was actually. Uh, I think maybe he had directed an episode or two. Maybe he had done Eagle versus Shark, but like most people didn't see that movie. And also, it's as a fan, I think it's probably his least successful movie. Successful movie, yeah, yeah. So accolades, I guess. The, my last thing to say about this is that just like when you get a manager or an agent or any sort of connection in Hollywood or in the film industry, what you do with that connection is you show them why you're valuable. Just showing them really good work that is cool, but they don't know what to do with is, is fine. You know, they, it might hit something in the right time. But in general, you need to show them good work and tell them why it can make money in some way. Yeah. So that's why I think if you get this Vimeo staff pick and you, it's not obvious at that time. Like when you reach out to people say, Hey, I made this thing. It was about my experience fall, you know, breaking up with my husband or whatever. But, uh, but we could reframe this and make this about, you know, losing internet service. <laughs> you know <laughs> and and make it into a commercial what do you think so i don't know yeah that's all i got i i think maybe as a transition um but also as a, a genuine question i think alex what what do you want to do is the real question right and then you have to show people that that's the thing that you should be hired to do because i think that I think it's totally reasonable to like have a day job and make cool art films. Awesome. But if you want to make commercials, then, you know, maybe make a spec or maybe like broaden things a little bit and look at different styles and things like that. You know, to be an animation director is a tricky thing, you know? And if you want to make animated sitcoms, you want to be like an adult swim person or, or, you know, work for the Simpsons or whatever, like showing your next project being something that's like a little bit, Closer to that goal, I think would would maybe be beneficial, without losing the thing that makes you special and makes you unique and makes you shine, but also like something that connects the dots for people a little bit more. Which transitions to my next topic: pick your targets. Which, uh, like I said, is a thing that uh, a dear old friend of mine brought up to me. I had, like took her to lunch not that long ago and was like. What should I do? I want to level up. I want to do this. I want to do that. Me, 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 me. And the big thing was like, just be specific, right? And so I, this year was like, oh, I want to, you know, get an episode of TV. Oren, you've said you like want to join the DGA, right? Mm -hmm. And those are both two goals that I think are totally reasonable and valid, but I think are mostly like a little amorphous, right? Like I think a career coach would be like, well, those are results. Right. What's the right? first step to get What's there? the first step? How do you join the DGA? How do you get television jobs? Like, no one's just going to hand me one, right? So, like, how can I leverage what I have done, my accolades, and turn that into something real? And I realized, like, oh, like, if someone asked me what my ideal show would be to direct, I don't know that I have a great answer. Of like TV shows that are on the air right now. I think there's a handful of really wonderful shows that I would be a good match for, but they probably aren't good first TV shows. I feel like you would be like, really good at like The Voice or The Bachelor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shows that I've literally never watched <laughs> and are the biggest in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And totally and unscripted. Totally unscripted, have live elements, you know, just like the big leagues. Right, but 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 genuinely though, like the 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 more realistic version would be like, you know, me saying that I want to direct an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, right? Like that's probably not going to happen because that show has been on for so long. They've got their stable of directors, and they have their voice, and it's a short order, so there's not that many episodes anyway. And every friggin' comedy director alive would give their left arm to do that you know it's the same for barry is like one of my favorite shows right now right three directors work on barry so like i guess all of which is that's all my specifics but like you know 
narrowing down and really asking yourself the specific questions of what, like if someone, if I was going to go email someone to be like, I want to shadow on your show, who Who are those people? Who would that be? Yeah. Yeah. I guess I'm going to challenge this whole premise because Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that this industry rewards following a path step by step. It rewards coming sideways from the path, being different, Mm -hmm. approaching things in weird ways, knowing the right people, being in the right place at the right time, being ready for opportunities. It's it's a much less linear industry than almost than anything that's corporate for sure. Right? Sure. The growth levels and patterns you see twenty two year old directors directing some of the best TV in the world and you see directors with 60 years of experience not being able to get a job because it's not about the pile of experience you have. It, that is a, an element of it. And so is who you know uh, and what you're like and how nice you are and where you happen to be at any moment. And so I think when you're saying be more specific, target exactly where you want to go, I've just never met anyone in this film in the film industry that has done that and been very successful because of how specific they are. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't know. I, 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 I disagree all. strongly. Okay. I disagree well, strongly. But, but hold, hold on. Let me just finish. I, I don't think you shouldn't target at all. But I think when you're saying like, well, I don't know the specific TV show that I would love to direct. I think you do know that you would love to direct half hour comedies. And I think mm-hmm. creating a field and a genre and a voice and a direction that you want to move your career in and you have this like giant 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 net uh Mm -hmm. that is defined by your capabilities your momentum your sensibilities the people you know and that net is as wide as the types of jobs that you would take and then you just try to aim it at the places that would give you those jobs so Mm -hmm. you know we've had a lot of tv directors maggie kylie lily marie honnelly culpepper Matt Pollock, Matt Barber, they have all directed TV. I don't think many of them, I mean, Sarah Dina Smith is one of the exceptions, but most of them made themselves known to be TV directors, known to be very hungry, known to build this network in this TV world, whether Mm -hmm. it's one hour dramas or half hours or Netflix specials or whatever, and then found the opportunities there and they met them. I think the shows that used as an example are really hard to penetrate, like curb your enthusiasm. It's it's that's just like the Larry David show, and probably if you're mm-hmm. in his orbit, you might get to direct. Kind of a similar thing with Barry. It's a very limited order. Mm-hmm. There aren't a lot of episodes. The star of the show is an incredible director. <laughs> the the his co-creator is an sure. incredible director. All all of that is my point, and what I guess I'm saying is that if you I, I think you're right. There's no silver bullet, right? And the, and like, there's no way I'm just gonna like be able to go knock on someone's door, right? But in the world of like, right? But if you go to through- ABC and say like, I want to do half hour comedies, my golden goose is like Modern Family, but I would also do like mm-hmm. the Goldbergs, or I would also do like this summer new show they're trying, or I do, you know, season twenty five of some show that's like a comedy mm-hmm. that you don't know that well but that people it's still on the air somehow or you go do like a manifest or a blacklist or something that's on season 55 and and what and what i'm saying is is that like when i go knock on abc's door and they say hey what's your golden goose you should have a good answer yeah i mean that's literally you google the shows they make before you go into that meeting right familiarize yourself with them and you explain to them why you like them i love modern family because i I love that handheld aesthetic, but that still looks beautiful. The so, timing, Warren, and I think say, I do that say we're going into Fox, right? I know you like Modern Family, so that's a good thing to lean on, right? Yeah. Say you're going into Fox. Fox Network. What would you say? Uh, well, are you? am I allowed to look up what shows are on Fox? Sure, yeah. Uh, is the Orville, is that one of their shows? That, that right there is my point, right? So, like... Last Man if, Standing, Empire 911... I mean, I think nine one one would be really fun to direct. Mm-hmm. Have I, you watched an episode of nine one one? I have not watched an episode of nine one one, but I 
would watch an episode of 911 before I went to meet with Fox, and I sure. have an idea. I, I've watched all the Chicago shows a lot. You know, um, there's the show Good Girls, which, you know, we met sure. the showrunner yeah. of and I know the DP of. That's a show I've seen, you know, pieces of episodes. I think I could direct that show. So what I'm saying is, is that I, I think I think all of that is true and I'm putting you on the spot. But what I'm saying is, is that like the flip side of like waiting for work is like going out and getting work, right? So if I say to myself, you know what, I'm going to look at each of these networks and I'm going to figure out who I know at each of them and I'm going to see if I can get some meetings and like, you know, build some build some of these relationships, then I need to start doing that work of saying when I sit down at that meeting, you know, my golden goose is this show that's on your network. And I really like it because of X, Y, Z. And I've seen most of it, right? But like, if you, as a person who doesn't watch a ton of TV and is pretty selective about it, you know, and who loves Barrier is a good example. It's like watching a lot of that premium prestige TV. I'm probably not going to get to start in that world. And so I have to be aware of what's in the second season uh, on pop TV or what true TV is making or, or what the new ABC show is. And like, maybe I know somebody over there, you know, like the people who are at my level who can make, uh, you know, recommendations and who my connections are. But if you don't know that world, if you don't know the landscape, if you haven't picked your target, then you're just kind of floating around and you're Googling things right before a meeting. See, That's I just point. feel like you need to aim wider because I think someone like you could aim. You could say, look, obviously everyone would love to do stuff for Netflix and HBO. Netflix is like, there's like not even a definition of what a Netflix show is like. Same with Amazon Prime and Hulu. But I feel like you could aim for a free form. I feel like you have mm-hmm. some sensibilities and some history that would match up with that network. I think you could aim for a pop or a true. I think you have the pedigree, mm-hmm. the relationships, the experience. Uh, and the sensibilities to do a show that would succeed and that, that feels like it would belong in that oeuvre. And then beyond that, maybe TBS. And so mm-hmm. you, you build this more like the audience. It's not, it's not about the shows, I think. It's about the audience. And I guess my question to you is when you go into that meeting with the exec at ABC or at TBS or at AMC and you say, I want to direct an episode of Modern Family or I want to direct an episode of Mr. Robot. Like, do you think that they really care about what you want to direct specifically yes. of the show? Or yes. do you think they want to know what you're going to bring to them? Like why they should hire you? I think that the answer to your, that the question, what do you want to direct is the answer to that question as well. So like, it's a way of like, I always talk about in meetings when someone asks you what your favorite movie is, they don't care what your number one favorite movie is. They're saying, describe to me your taste and what you like to do best. That's what they're saying. So when someone asks me what my favorite movie is and I say Alien, that's I fucked up. I should say Fargo. I should say Broadcast News. I should say The Graduate, yeah. right? Because that I'm describing my own work in that way, right? Yeah, I personally think that's like a dumb question you know it that literally you get every single meeting yeah i like what i think is not a dumb question is either a which what movies have you seen recently that you liked or mm-hmm. b what kind of movies do you like because i right. think that it's all the same question right and so what i'm getting at is that like i'm not saying i'm gonna pick one show and gun for it but i'm saying that like i think your point of like oh TBS, True TV, Pop. That's like a narrower list. I can watch. Also, all of those shows, all of those networks are basically making three or four shows. Right. So like. Free form. Out, okay. I think you can pick a few big. Like TBS is, probably does more than three or four shows. But yeah. 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 But free, free form, Pop and True all are making a, a handful of shows. So then you can say to yourself, okay, well, like, do I know any one of these shows? How do I get in- introductions to the showrunners there? How can I build those relationships? That's all I'm describing, right? I'm not saying like I'm going to go for the one show ever, but like being specific of like, oh yeah, I think I probably make sense at like 
you know, a, a comedy oriented basic cable single cam world, that's where I, I flourish, then people have something to work with. And then they can say, oh, well, you know, are you watching this show or that show? But the answer also still needs to be yes. You need to be conversant in those shows. You know, if I went to a friend of mine who works at a network where none of their shows make any sense for me to direct, then I'm wasting their time. Like, we know a ton of people. We're very lucky. We're very connected. But, like, not all of those people should you be, like, hitting up to shadow all the time. I just feel like of all the the shadowing stories we've heard, the successful shadowing stories, they've all been, like, I shadowed on, like, 30 big TV shows. Big 30 TV shows. big network procedural TV shows because they were all procedural directors. Hanley Culpepper was just like, I'm going to do a procedural after... Give me those CSI cybers. Give me those cop shows. Give me some law and orders. Same with Lily Marie, right? Whereas uh, Maggie Kylie was like, yeah, I'm like in the Ryan Murphy universe. I'm doing magical realism. I'm doing like YA stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like did Maggie Kylie ever do like a, you know, a law and order? No, but none of them aimed for the shows that they ended up directing. The specific shows. They just had a, a genre. Sure. Sure. So that's what I'm... I'm saying, but I'm glad that you, well, do you have the show? What's the show you're going to, who, which I don't have the show. That's the, that's why I'm so fired up, Oren, is that I don't have the show. I don't have the show. Well, I think. But I think you, you, you were like, I think you're right. Pop TV, True TV, TBS. But yes, but, but I don't watch a lot of those shows. Do you know what I mean? Like only sort of like, you you know, like you don't want to look like an asshole if you finally get your foot in the door over there and they're like. You know, they reference an episode that you're not familiar with. At a certain point, you look dumb. So I'm just saying, like, I'm I'm all, I'm just like I'm looking to do some homework. I'm looking to to you know dig in and like be clear and set intentions. Well, I agree with that. I agree with like going, knowing what direction you're going in, and knowing what you like, and making what you like to show people that you are good at it. So we'll agree on that. Um, so our final topic, I think, comes back to a thing that we've talked about on the show a little bit more in the last few years, and it comes down to like loyalty and tough decisions, both for hiring crew and then also your crew and the what they, you know, them being a part of your team, basically. So the film that we're on right now, you know, is kind of low budget, right? And it's designed to accommodate a lot of schedules and things but certainly there are instances where people have to like sub in and out you know and it just got me thinking a lot about uh just the nature of bigger opportunities coming people's way or have you ever been committed to a job and then a bigger better opportunity came through for you um you know it seems like the type of thing that would just happen like a million times a year but i can't quite think of a time that i've done it i've always just tried to like do both jobs yeah or move thing i ask see who's more malleable and what i can move i've definitely moved jobs and i've turned down jobs because i was already on something else but i don't think i've ever like jumped ship for a better opportunity for a better opportunity yeah i mean i think that like the short-term stuff i think it makes it a lot easier but like if you were on a feature or a tv show like something long term yeah so i worked for disney for four years full time and I had a manager at the time and she basically was like well you've taken this full-time job I can't really send you out for anything so just know that you've chosen that over Mm -hmm. something potentially bigger and obviously you've done that you were on Ellen you were on um, that Facebook watch show you've kind of taken yourself out of the game for a little while but you're kind of keeping one foot in I was still doing commercials that whole time yeah yeah but you couldn't be, well, I don't know. Could you just go to a general meeting in the middle of the day? I did, yeah. <laughs> okay. Not so much with Alan, but but with the Facebook watch show, certainly I did. No, I, I haven't really done that much. I mean, when you know, when I was working at Disney is when I made my first feature. And I told them, hey, guys, I'm, I got this movie that's like more along the lines of what I ultimately want to do. So I'm going to take off. Hopefully I can come back. And I did come back. And when I came back, I was like disappointed with what we were doing at Disney. It seemed so 
You got back and you're like, what? Meaningless. And I, I became kind of a tyrant. I was like, why? What is the meaning behind this production design? Why is why does Lady Gaga have a giant swan on her head? That doesn't mean anything because we were doing a lot of sure, silly sure, parodies. Sure. So yeah, that's yeah. when you I had your Disney. mind blown by by features. Yeah, um, yeah. I, there there is something funny about like going back to the day job and you're just like, what am I doing? And I was making art before, and now I'm just peddling yeah. swill. Have you jumped ship for a better opportunity? I have. I haven't jumped ship for a better opportunity. I think because directing is like such a, it would be such a big deal. Like there's no, there's no swapping out. There's no like, hey, you know, my buddy Oren is going to step in while I go do this other thing. Whereas I think a lot of the other departments do that, you know? Right. I've been asked to replace a director once on a show and I said no because it was crazy, a crazy situation and I didn't really work out for my schedule anyway might have told this story before but a director was directing this two-day commercial that i was doing vfx on so i knew the content mm-hmm. very well and on day two that director was passing a kidney stone in the morning he got to oh, set boy. and he basically couldn't even stand up and they sent him home and they called me and they said do you want to come direct this uh whoa and that's I different did directed yeah. day two so i've i've replaced directors i've never replaced myself yeah. i've recommended people before yeah like if you're busy or you're not uh, no yeah. Right for it or something. I think I've recommended yeah. you. Yeah. I don't think you've I ever mean, recommended me. That's not true. I think I have recommended you. Go on. Anyway. Matt. Um <laughs> I'm sure I have actually. I think it's a it's a thing that I've been talking to a lot of people about. And I think that like there are people who are in that school of thought where it's like, listen, you gotta take the bigger job. Even if you're committed, you gotta go for it. Yeah, I do you know, actually agree with <laughs> All that said about never having done it, it has to be a really big jump. It has to be like mm-hmm. you're shooting a hundred thousand dollar feature, and then someone offers you an episode of network television. Yeah, yeah. then it's like, Did yeah, you, you got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah, yeah maybe I, that I, maybe that example is not great, but someone offers you like a studio film or something that mm-hmm. art is artistically satisfying, but just a much bigger profile, bigger budget will help you out financially is what makes more sense yeah. for your schedule or your family, whatever it is. Yeah. And I, I think that it's, it's one of those things also where, you know, there's the mentality and I think it's true to a certain extent. No one's looking out for you. Like even like, you know, your favorite collaborators, like we know plenty of great directors who've like made the big jump and like wanted to bring their DP along. And then the network was like, no. And like, that was that, you know, so, like, when those opportunities come, sometimes people just have to take them. But the flip side is that it makes it pretty darn hard. You know, like, the, it's hard to not take it personally. It's hard to be relying on someone and then all of a sudden them drop out. I mean, we're really talking about the perils of low budget, right? You know, when you're paying, when you can't pay someone to buy them out entirely, can't negotiate like, hey, listen, we own you, right? Like, that's what contracts are for. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like a SAG, SAG ultra low budget explicitly gives an actor the right to drop out for a better paying job. Right. That is in the contract. That's non-negotiable. That's cool. That That is the nature that, of a ULB yeah. contract. Yeah. Well, it, it's also very much... On a film set, I was thinking a lot about this on my shoot the other day, that who you're trying to please is always the person that hired you, and it rarely is the person that you hired. So as a director, you don't really care if the DP is happy or not. You want them to be happy, especially if you're friends with them, but you can tell them, hey, this sucks, let's do something else. Uh, The person, the production company that hired you, you can't say, hey, you're running this in a crappy way, you're Mm -hmm. not a good producer, and them in uh in turn can't go to the client or the agency and say hey this isn't well written and they can't go to the client and say hey this product sucks you have to talk very nicely to the people above you and much more honestly to the people below you uh so i think it a lot of like what you're talking about is relying on that as well like when i worked at disney about half the people i worked with there are now doing gigantic studio films and TV shows. Like production designer, DPs, they're all like 
doing like Oscar nominated things or things like massive movies, just giant things. And I'm sure a lot of your like DP friends and stuff from USC are doing big things, but they can't, even though you've hired them before, they can't hire you. Sure. So yeah. it, it changes the dynamic in a way and that the, the loyalty or whatever you would call it, or the jumping ship is different for us than it is for the people we hire and then the people that hire us. Like we wouldn't be shocked if an agency didn't hire us back to do the same campaign that they're doing this year that we did last year. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, we'd be mad about it, but there's like nothing you can do about it. Right. And, and then likewise, the agency wouldn't be upset if we did a campaign for a, a competitor. Yeah. Because they know that we are relying on them for work. So we can just taking the opportunities that we get that are the best opportunities. And the th- way I try to think about it, though, it's hard to think about it is like I've worked with some amazing actors before they were amazing actors and amazing mm-hmm. DPs and production designers and all that stuff before they kind of hit the big leagues. And now I don't work with them anymore. And they're working with like, you know, on giant, giant productions. And I just think to myself, well, I, in my history, I've worked with them. So we are like, at least I have that. And we made things together. And we, I always have the thing I made with them, mm-hmm. you know? So even though we're not working together today, it doesn't mean that our relationship is meaningless. It, on the contrary, because of the nature of what we do, we literally have like, materials and footage and videos and set photos mm-hmm. and all these things that we created together and it doesn't have to be forever yeah no i i, I think that's uh really smart and really in tune and i think like as as you gain more experience and you level up like everyone levels up at a different rate right i think directors tend to go a little slower than dps or production designers because like yeah, directors like do big leaps and then little nothings, like yeah. plateau and then yeah. leaps and plateaus. Yeah, it's much more of a stair step, whereas I think you see a linear curve on other departments. Again, because I think that development and post just take up, you know, a huge amount of time. So like a GP can shoot three, sometimes four movies in the amount of time that it takes you to make one. Oh, easily. They could shoot, if you're... Uh... Terrence Malick, DP can shoot 20 movies in the time it takes you to make one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So yeah, so they just go a lot faster. And so I think that especially where I am in my career right now, I'm like watching people really kind of have to to make tough decisions, you know? Um, and so it's a thing that I'm watching happen to my peers in a really interesting way. And I think that when you're younger... You know, you you look at certain filmmakers and you look at certain, you know, the way that they collaborate with their repertoire players. And you see, like, P.T. Anderson always works with the same actors. The Coen brothers always work with the same actors. I thought that was so cool. And, you know, a buddy of mine brought up the point, like, even the Coen brothers don't get to shoot with Roger Deakins anymore. You know, like, they shot with Roger Deakins for years. The majority of the Coen brothers movies are with, with Roger Deakins. And then, like, He's too busy now. Right. You know? And, and like, they... even when you're arguably one of the top 20 living filmmaking and tour entities and, like, top five best cinematographers alive, these still schedules get tricky. Yeah. People get booked up. But those relationships still count for something. Like, if I got a cool project and one of these DPs that I worked with 10 years ago might be right for it, and now this project is at the level that they work, then I can already come into this project saying, Hey, I have a perfect, I'm an amazing DP, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, yeah. And so you kind of, you, you float away from each other and then I think you can equalize and bounce back and forth. And yes, there's like those, the Duplass brothers or, you know, the, those groups, those famous groups of people that are always kind of sticking together. Uh, and work with the same people, but there's also most teams don't do that. <laughs> sure, fair enough. So don't worry about it, man. Yeah, man. No, I think it's just <laughs> it's it's something that I'm witnessing with all of my peers, you know. And I think it, worth pointing out and just kind of 
addressing the way in which we're all growing, I think is really interesting. Yeah. At different rates. Yeah. And in different directions. Yeah. Well, Oren, what a great <laughs> gauntlet of, yeah. of, of oh, yes, really, yeah, it's a lot of different topics. We've got relationships growing in different ways. We've got what do accolades even mean? And also, how can you be specific and open at the same time? It's a lot of stuff. Yeah. But you know what? I've got an antidote for you. Yes. Called unpaid endorsements. Unpaid endorsements. Okay, number one. Did you know that Google has this thing called Google Password Checkup? Where it, you know how if you use Chrome, it saves all of your passwords? Mm -hmm. There's this thing called Google Password Checkup. I only found out about it today because I went to a website and this message popped up and it said, hey, by the way, this website has been hacked. Like, People mm-hmm. have taken all the usernames and passwords from this website and you should change your password. And so it, it, you, it la- launches this Google password checkup thing and it shows you every site you have, all the sites where you have the same username and password. And it says, by the way, you know, <clears throat> Matt, Mr. Matt Enlow password, I love aliens or whatever. You use that combination on these 80 websites. Uh, you mm-hmm. should change your password. So it's just like an awesome way to see how hackable you, your account is. And I noticed that my Instagram account actually had a very a, a username and password that was like on a million websites that had been corrupted. So yeah, I yeah. changed that password today. But it's cool. Google password checkup. Check it out if you um, are at all worried about your security. I'm a one password guy. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah, it's cool. Well, one password, which is a basically a lockbox for all of your passwords. So I just remember one password and then it autofills. It's kind of like one step removed from browser-based right. site manager, or password manager, which I think those are actually like the most susceptible to hacks, actually. Like your Chrome, like storing all of your passwords in Chrome is like not, not the smartest, I think. But what do I know? I mean, they're all different versions of having one password. That's the problem. Well, I'm saying one password is the name of the app. Right, but you have one password to get into one password. Correct. And so but then if somebody all of those gets other passwords, password, if someone got password. the password, but so I don't use that password on anything else, and then all of my other passwords are unique. So right. I never have to remember anything. But if somebody gets your one password password, they have all your passwords. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yes. And there are all these things. But, have well, like well, no, actually, no, that's not failure. technically. No, 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 that's not technically true because I think that the way that like the one password the there's an explainer video on like how it works but they don't actually like it's cloud-based storage but it's all encrypted or something like even if someone hacked one password they just have like nothing but gobbledygook like you have to literally have my password which one password doesn't know in order for you to access my right like your password is a key to decode maybe Right, exactly. The other password. I think that's how it works. But if you were at a know. coffee shop and you typed your password into your laptop and someone sitting behind you saw what that password was or recorded mm-hmm. your keyboard on their phone or whatever, mm-hmm. and you went to the bathroom and left your laptop there, they could go to your bank account, log yeah, in, could. and transfer yeah, yeah. all your wire all your money out to their own account. Yeah, yeah. they'd be pretty disappointed. All right, well, I'm going to go for mine now. It, this one will make you nice and happy, Oren. Baron Munchausen, you're a fan. The um, Carl Zeman, like, wacky animation comedy, adventure comedy from, like, the 60s is being reissued on Criterion in a box set. So now you can watch it here in the States. Oh, cool. Yeah. Novel. Okay, next. Yep. Have you ever been to freestyle photography? No, someone was just talking to me about it, actually. The store on Sunset Boulevard... People love photography. it. Yeah, I have been recording a lot of self-tapes for my wife, who's an actress. And as we know, 90% of auditions now are on tape for some reason. And I've been trying to find a good backdrop for it. And we bought all sorts of crap on Amazon. Keep returning it because it's just like not good. All these like gray fabrics and things are just all so wrinkly, regardless of how much they claim that they don't wrinkle. And what you really need is just like a giant roll of paper. And so I went there today and I bought like a giant roll of oh, did you get gray yourself paper. Seamless? Seamless, okay. yeah. 86 inches, like seven feet wide. Gray. It was a little dinged, so I got it for 20 bucks. And Whoa, like, that's pretty good. Hey, it's 
kind of nice to just like walk into a store and buy something and not buy it on Amazon where it would have, it's really heavy. It's really long. It would probably yeah. been kind of, the shipping price would somehow be encoded into the actual price of the product, even if it was a prime thing. So uh, check it out. Freestyle Photography, they have like, it's much more about photography and they do amazing prints there if you want to print a photo really large. But they also have really reasonably priced bounce boards and backdrops and strobe lights and all you, all the things you would need for photography. So it's pretty cool. And it, yeah, I, they're very helpful there as well. So freestyle photography on Sunset Boulevard in LA. Pretty cool place. Awesome. Mine is uh, the Brooklyn Nine-Nine podcast uh, just launched. Oh. My good friend B is a producer on it. And it's on the podcast? great. She produces the podcast, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, herself and like a uh, there's a small team of people doing it, but yeah, she's like the main show point liaison and is on the show, and it's really great. It's hosted by Mark Evan Jackson, who also makes an appearance in my movie, which is exciting. Uh, who you'll recognize as Kevin Cosner on Brooklyn Nine Nine, but also as Sean from The Good Place. He hosts the Good Place podcast as well, so he's quite good at it. He's got an incredible voice, and he's super smart and funny. And even if you're not like the biggest Brooklyn Nine-Nine fan, the conversations they have about story and comedy and uh, the approach to the show are all really insightful and cool. And I can't recommend it highly enough. It's like very, very good. So uh, you should listen. It's not just because one of my best friends makes the show. You're paying for this endorsement. I'm not. I wish I was. Um, So the Brooklyn Nine-Nine podcast, uh, it's great. Okay. Next one, I have a doctor friend. I'm on same. I'm on, I'm on some antibiotics right now because my daughter had strep throat. And my friend, who's a doctor, was like, "Why don't you should just take one dose? It'll kill it in case you have been or about to get it." And I said, "Can I have a beer?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, totally." So one beer, <laughs> and my wife was having one glass of wine. She's also took a dose. He was like, "One beer, one wine on antibiotics. Totally no big deal. Like stop freaking no out." No big deal. Doctors are so loosey goosey. By the way. I uh, love it. Whatever disclaimer I need to say about that, do not take my medical advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as official in any way, it's just my opinion, but that's what I'm saying. If you're on antibiotics and you're like out at a bar and you're like, sorry, I'm on antibiotics, can't enjoy your birthday party, just have a beer and just shut up. Well, uh, that's a perfect segue into my final endorsement, which I have an app where I keep all of my uh, endorsements so that I don't forget them. And I had one that said Marty and Elaine and Maddie Lobotomy for... I know half of that. Yeah. I'm yes on half of that. (laughs) So it was just, it auto-corrected. So the the bar uh, down the street from my place, the dressing room, is where I often have my birthday party. Um, Yes, on a monthly basis for some reason. I was actually super sick my last birthday and ended up on antibiotics the next morning. Um. But I was there, and Marty and Elaine are the last non-ironic lounge act in the country. They're incredible. <laughs> the vibe is really great. They play actual lounge music. They're like a husband and wife duo, but they have like guests drop in all the time, and it's always a great vibe. And I have seen Spike Jones and David Fincher having drinks uh, in the booth behind me for my like 32nd birthday, I want to say. I see people there all the time. And that last birthday, I saw Maddie Libatique, the DP, and I said hello to him. Did you tell him it was your birthday and that he needs to shoot something for you because it's your birthday? <laughs> I should have. It's his birthday. Like, shoot something for him. Dude, dude, come on. Dude, you could have just phone. given him your iPhone and been like, hey, do a really cool shot of me blowing out these can candles. You, can you light this? Yeah. Um, it's a, a pretty iconic looking... Um, cinematographer he's got like spiky hair and like rings and he's a real cool guy so he shot uh pie and requiem for a dream and uh iron man other things iron man a star is born uh he was the youngest member of the asc at the time i think he maybe still holds the record but uh i was real stoked yeah and i finally figured out oh maddie libatique not maddie lobotomy (laughs) oh yes now i understand lobotomy now i'm yes yes on that tweet yeah. Okay, so my final endorsement is just this insane director that I found and I didn't have no idea how I didn't know about him. He's a commercial and music video director. His name is Ian Pons Jewel. He directed an organic Michelob Ultra commercial that I 
think might have played during the Super Bowl this year. He did 19 commercials last year. Oh, uh, my God. His stuff is just insane. He uses a lot of VFX, but in like the most weird, naturalistic way possible. And just check out his stuff. Ian Pond's Jewel. I-A-N-P-O-N-S. Did you email him? Pardon? Is he the one person you emailed to get on the show? I did not email him yet. But I was just telling Matt about him. I was like, this guy's shaking so my good. head. Yeah. Shaking my wait, so who did you well you'll have to tell me later who you emailed. Oh, who did I email to get on this show? All right. Well <laughs> through, my, through my Gmail. Someone thanks I'm for sure listening, everyone. Thanks for listening. This episode was edited by Jonathan Luna. Our webmaster is Yubun Williams, and you're listening to music provided by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Additional ad music by Musicbed. Uh, you can find me on all social media at Mr. Matt Enlow and the show at Just Shoot It Pod. And I'm still posting my commercial breakdowns at O'Kaplan on Instagram. Check him out. And if you could leave us a rating on iTunes, that would be awesome. Stupendous. Thanks for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.